Hello, CFL fans and fellow degenerate gamblers. Welcome back to another edition of Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. My name is Kyle McMahon. I am your host, here to take us through another exciting week of CFL action. We'll have a look back at opening week, break down what we saw from the eight teams that took the field, and of course, look ahead to week two games with all the news, notes, and relevant betting information. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, sending me an email at cflbettingpodcast at gmail.com is the easiest way to do so. All of your comments, critiques, and complaints are more than welcome. Lots to cover from the O's eventful opening week, so here we go. We got the party started with Thursday Night Football in the Peg. And this game, for the most part, went according to plan. After some early fireworks in the first quarter, both these offenses more or less ground to a halt, with Winnipeg content to wear the Hamilton defense out with a steady dose of the run game, while Jeremiah Masoli was unable to spark a Tiger Cats offense that finished this game with a sub-40% success rate and just two explosive plays. I had concerns coming into this game about Hamilton's inexperience on the offensive line, And indeed, the Bombers were able to get consistent pressure with four-man rushes for most of the night. And when you're able to do that, it makes it very tough to find open receivers, not to mention having to throw on the run definitely hurt Masoli's accuracy. For their part, I thought the Hamilton D put in a pretty solid effort here themselves. But with the offense unable to sustain any drives, the Bombers were able to lean on them for long enough that they finally cracked late and Brady Oliveira... The Canadian running back subbing in for the injured Andrew Harris was able to put this game away in the fourth quarter with a handful of first down runs. Takeaways here, the Winnipeg defense looks ready to pick up right where they left off. And the Ticats are going to need to get the run game going in order to have the same success through the air that they showed in 2019. The under 51.5 did cash easily here. That was your best bet for week one. Hope everyone got the bag there. Moving on, Lions-Riders was certainly the craziest game of the week, with Saski jumping out to an early 31-0 lead, only to see the Lions storm back in the second half. Uh, and a comeback attempt that came up just a few points short. I was hoping we'd see the Lions getting around six points in this contest, and the books indeed obliged, opening this one up at a generous 7.5, a number that took a fair chunk of BC money, getting bet down to six by kickoff time. Big story in this one was rookie quarterback Nathan Rourke getting the surprise start over Mike Riley, whose elbow injury is evidently more serious than anyone was led to believe. Rourke did struggle early on, no question, but this game looked to be a write-off by midway through the second quarter uh, until the Lions struck for a 75-yard touchdown pass late in that quarter to flip the momentum, and they added a field goal to get back within shouting distance. The decision at halftime to insert Riley for Rourke down by 22 points was quite strange. Uh, To me, if your starter isn't healthy enough to be on the field when you're tied at zero, He's probably not healthy enough to be out there when you're down by three touchdowns, but this is the CFL, and sometimes a plan is just crazy enough to actually work out. Now, I guess to clarify, that wasn't actually the plan per se. By the sounds of it, Coach Rick Campbell was just as surprised as anyone when Riley declared himself fit to play, but sure enough, Riley pulled the lines back into it one one dead duck pass at a time while the Lions D did stiffen up and shut down Cody Fajardo for the better part of this football game after they got 
carved up for majors on the first three possessions, there's a good chance the Lions actually would have won this game outright if not for the struggles of their new kicker as Takeru Yamasaki missed two makeable field goals and an extra point, and that did end up being the difference on the scoreboard. Key takeaways, the Riders' new-look offensive line looked better than I expected. This was my biggest concern with them coming in. And while BC didn't exactly test them with a lot of pressure, they held their own at a minimum. Jason Moss' uh, offenses, they still seem to go missing for entire halves at a time. Uh, it seemed that Saskatchewan was fully committed to William Powell in the run game and a lot of the quick-hit passes on their way to that 31 nothing lead, and for some reason they drifted away from that in the second half, and for all intents and purposes, they were shut out in the final 30 here. Um, on the BC side, uh, let's give them props for a gutsy comeback effort, but Mike Riley does not have the look of a man who will be throwing at 100% health in the immediate future, and uh, we will get to the BC quarterback situation in our game preview coming up. Saturday night, double dip starting off in Calgary. And I think the Stampeders and the Argonauts both showed up uh, reasonably resembling what we expected them to be. The Argos were missing all those guys in their defensive front. And indeed, Calgary did their best to attack a potential weak spot, running the ball well over 50% of the time on first down. And they were quite effective in doing so with a 64% success rate and a handful of big gainers. Normally, a performance like that along the ground lends itself to more than a 20-point output from the offense, but the passing game, while effective in spurts, was never quite able to kick it into full gear. Uh, in spite of Toronto's pass rush generally failing to put too much pressure on Bo Levi Mitchell, the Argonaut offense moved the ball fairly well in this one. Uh, like the Stamps, they had trouble finishing drives, but McLeod Bethel-Thompson almost certainly earned himself the start next game, uh, regardless of Nick Arbuckle's health, by leading those two fourth-quarter scoring drives that enabled Toronto to snatch a late outright victory. After Calgary, who was favored by 6.5 heading in, uh, was not able to put the game out of reach thanks to poor red zone efficiency. Kicking a bunch of short field goals seldom wins games in this league, and we saw that prove true again in this one. Biggest takeaway is going forward. Watch for the injury report this week since several guys went down out there during the game. And the CFL Command Center appears to be in midseason form themselves, taking a Calgary touchdown off the board on what I thought was a pretty desperate challenge from Toronto's rookie head coach Ryan Dinwiddie. That combined with Ricky Collins fumbling away a probable seven points on a huge play at the start of the second half kept this game under the 49 total, despite a blocked punt and nearly 800 yards of combined offense. CFL seemingly saved the worst for last this week with Ottawa and Edmonton joining forces to provide the one game that I would say looked more like a preseason than a regular season game. The Elks were 7 to 7.5 point chalk in this one, and a quick glance at the stat sheet would lead one to believe they controlled it as they picked up almost 450 yards of offense to an abominable 127 for Matt Nichols and the Red Blacks offense. But timely mistakes and turnovers would go on to cost the Elks this cover, and incredibly, they managed to lose outright after a 100-yard pick six in the fourth quarter swung 14 points late. James Wilder looked pretty solid in the run game in this one, but Trevor Harris was chucking the ball all over the park with two bad picks in addition to the pick six. 
and a passing game that many, including myself, expected to carry the day for Edmonton fell flat, failing to find the end zone a single time. There's not a lot of positive things that can be said about an Ottawa offense that was only able to complete two, count him two, plays of more than 10 yards. But if Paul Lapalise's game plan was to just play it safe and not turn the ball over, well, mission accomplished in that department. We knew coming in that if Ottawa was going to have any success at all this year, their defensive secondary and special teams units were going to need to come up big. And lo and behold, three interceptions from that defense and a return game that looked dangerous all night got them across the finish line with an upset win. And from the Edmonton perspective, dropping a game at home to a team that they held to 71 passing yards is a big stumble out of the gate that has them behind the eight ball early on in the 2021 season. So unfortunately, our unofficial best bet, if you hopped on the minus seven when it dropped on Saturday morning, came up snake eyes. And hopefully you still ended up in the green for the always tricky CFL opening week. Moving ahead to the often even trickier CFL second week, where everything we thought we learned from week one gets thrown out the window. The Thursday nighter has BC making their second trip on the road in as many weeks as they will visit the Calgary Stampeders. And this is already a fairly important game for both these clubs as the loser is going to fall to a quick 0-2. We're seeing the Stamps listed as six and a half point favorites right now. And that number is based on the belief that rookie Nathan Rourke is going to be the man under center for the Lions. Whether or not Mike Riley plays at all is really anyone's guess. And I don't even think Mike or his head coach know the answer to that one right now, if last week is any indication. So who knows what could be in store for us, but we'll proceed as though Rourke is going to see the majority of the snaps. First up, let's have a look at the injuries. Besides the aforementioned Riley, BC also looks like they're going to be without offensive lineman Riker Matthews. That's a notable loss. Defensive back Gary Peters has been limited in practice with a hamstring issue, though that was the case last week as well, and he did end up playing, so I'd lean towards him being available Thursday. Running back Shaq Cooper remains on the one-game injured list. Learning now that Calgary quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell was limited in practice on Tuesday and Wednesday with a calf issue, though worth noting that the subject didn't even really come up during Dave Dickinson's media availability after practice on Tuesday, so I've, I've got to think this really can't be anything too serious. Veteran defensive back Jamar Wall appears likely to miss this game. Sounds like receiver Josh Huff will play, though. Both those guys got nicked up in the season opener. Stamps might be getting Richard Leonard back in the secondary. He was a full participant at practice on Tuesday and would be a nice piece to move into the lineup, uh, particularly with Wall injured. Uh, I guess for a breakdown, let's start with the BC offense here. There were some things to like in our, our first viewing of this unit last Friday. Overall, though, I think there's a fair bit of room for improvement. The run game was practically non-existent and generated very little when they did call it, grading out at just three for nine in terms of success rate. James Butler saw the carries and he had some catches of the backfield, including a touchdown, but BC is going to need to get a little more out of him and force the Calgary defense to respect the run game if they want their rookie quarterback to be in the best possible situation to have success. 
Rourke settled down after a very shaky start on Friday, but he did look error-prone under pressure, as you might expect from a guy playing his first pro game. The Lions did record uh, a fair number of explosive plays in the past game, several from Riley and a couple from Rourke, but I'm not convinced of their ability to repeat that here. Uh, Watching the film from Friday, the Lions connected on quite a number of balls that were easily defensible or interceptable even, and managed to just flutter into that one spot where a receiver was able to get two hands on it. Uh, Defense that was a little sharper, something that we would expect to see across the board in Week 2 probably punishes some of those more dangerous throws more than Saskatchewan was able to, in spite of the one pick six that they did put on the board. Stampeders defense, they gave up a few big plays last week, particularly in the fourth quarter, so I I do think they're looking a tad vulnerable in the defensive backfield right now, but Toronto did drop back to pass 39 times in that game, and the reality is you are going to connect on a few when you throw the ball that often. If Richard Leonard is indeed in the lineup and close to full health, that'll be a boost to the pass defense, and I'd also look for the Stamps to generate a little more pressure up front than they did last week particularly if BC is indeed down Riker Matthews on their O-line. As far as the Calgary offense goes, it was a bit of a sluggish start through the air, which has kind of turned into something of a habit for Bo Levi Mitchell in season openers. And it sounds like he wasn't thrilled with his own play or that of his receivers last week. Receivers was an area of concern coming into the year. The good news is Kamar Jordan looked good in his first regular season game in almost three years. But the guys behind him on the depth chart are going to need to be a little bit better. BC defended the pass very well after the first three touchdown drives last week. A backhanded compliment, perhaps. But things improved after they started rushing more than three or four guys. So I would expect them to try to get after Bo Levi from the get-go rather than sit back and try to feel their way into this game like they appeared to against the Riders. The biggest potential mismatch I see is the Calgary running game that saw a ton of action in the season opener going up against a Lions defensive front that was giving up yardage in seven or eight yard bursts early last week. They did tighten things up as the game wore on, though I'd I'd argue that was just as much a case of Saskatchewan getting a bit lazy with their play calls once they'd built up that huge lead. One big X factor in the game, and you know, and this is important whether it gets talked about as much in the, the lead-up to kickoff or not, is, is the kicking game. Obviously, Calgary's set in that department with Rene Paredes, the consistent veteran. BC could be in some trouble here, though. They've elected to go with a global at this position in Takeru Yamasaki, who did not look good at all in his debut. It's possible the nerves got to him a bit, but uh, it looked like there was possibly some pre-snap communication issues between him and his holder. I, I noticed that on the missed extra point. Overall, there, there were two pretty short field goal misses in addition to that extra point miss, and uh, a couple of made field goals even that just snuck inside the uprights from inside 45 yards. So that's a bit of a red flag for me, and it's, it's possible that this guy's going to be kicking for his job on Thursday. You don't generally give kickers, uh, especially new ones, all that long to figure things out. As far as the numbers go, this line is sitting 6.5 right now in favor of Calgary at the only semi-mainstream book that has it posted with an over-under of 48.5. Not going to lie, I'm not too happy with the major books right now for their so far apparent 
unwillingness to post a number before game day. You know, not seeing a number until game day is not generally conducive to finding value. So <laughs> hopefully that changes very soon. I do think Calgary wins this football game. I was hoping, and I guess am still hoping, I suppose, that we see something at minus four or better. But with Nathan Rourke getting the ball for BC, I, I just don't see a flood of money coming in on the visitors in this one. I think, unfortunately for us punters, the books pretty much got this number right. And as I said last week during the Edmonton-Ottawa preview, beware of large numbers in the opening two weeks of CFL season. Six points or more being what, what I would consider a large number, just for clarity. And I, I say that as somebody who did back Edmonton at minus seven anyway last week and, and paid the price with that spread-flipping pick six. There's, uh, there's still just enough uh, enough degree of uncertainty with these teams, uh, you know, all these teams figuring things out this early in the season. Expecting somebody to go out and, and win by a full touchdown is just not as easy as it sounds. I, you know, I mean, Saskatchewan failed to do that last week after going up 31 zip. So at this point, it's doubtful I'll be making a play on the spread unless we see it jump significantly in one direction or the other. But I don't mind making a play on the total here. This is a rather short week for both teams. Calgary's going to be playing on four days rest. That's not a lot coming out of training camp, which is generally taxing on players. And BC does have the extra day of rest but had to travel. Both teams probably only got in one full day of padded practice between games, maybe two at the most. I don't expect either team will be playing much tempo, and if last week is any indication, Calgary will try to control this game on the ground if the Lions front seven allows for it, particularly with Bo Levi Mitchell evidently not at 100%. As mentioned, BC left points on the field last week with their shoddy kicking game. We won't write Mr. Yamasaki off after just one game, but I wouldn't exactly want to be relying on him to put points on the board based on the sample that we do have. BC's ability to pick up yardage in chunks through the air does concern me a little bit, but I just can't quite see Mike Riley coming in off the bench and connecting on a bunch of 30-yard wobblers again should it come to that. And while he did throw a couple of nice touchdown strikes last week, Nathan Rourke is still a raw rookie with less than one full game of pro experience. I don't think this turns into a, the 20-something point slog that Winnipeg Hamilton was last Thursday, but I do think the short prep and less than ideal quarterback circumstances will hurt these offenses just enough to steer this game towards the under. Okay, so as I've said, we're just not getting much cooperation from bookmakers so far. Uh, our ability to evaluate the marketplace is severely limited when lines aren't popping up until 8 or 9 hours before kickoff, or they're only available at a very limited selection of smaller books. I will endeavor to break down the remaining three games later this week if we get some lines dropped in time, along with the latest injury ports. But hopefully a deep dive on the Thursday nighter will suffice for now. Limited options for a best bet this week, but we'll have to work with what we have. So let's go under 48.5 in Cowtown tomorrow evening. I don't have any reason to believe that number would open significantly different at the major shops, so I expect we'll all have access to it. 
All right, so we'll we'll call this the end of part one of our podcast for this week. Uh, you know, as I said, we'll just have to wait to hope. Hopefully, we get some numbers, and we're not just just blindly speculating here on on the remainder of the games. So I'll thank you guys all again for listening. Your support is greatly appreciated. Once again, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, cflbettingpodcast at gmail.com is the best way to do that. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon, signing off for now. We will talk again soon.